Welcome to The Good Life, a podcast brought to you by the Office of the Chaplain at the University of Pennsylvania. Hello, welcome back to The Good Life. This is Chaz Howard. And this is Patty Anton. And we're excited to continue our conversations around character. And today, we thought we'd have a a little back and forth around uh, the experience of drawing lessons on character from folks who may not be from our particular religious tradition. And I'm excited to, to talk to you for a couple reasons, Patty. One, when I think of people who model character here on campus, uh, you're one of the people who first come to mind. I see the way that you engage our students and challenge them, but it's a sort of trickle-down lessons on character from you. And, so, and, and you do it in a humble way. And you do it in, not in a heavy-handed you know, you, you better behave yourself kind of character way. You do it in a way that is gently contagious. And so I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much, Chaz. Those are really kind words. The only thing I can say is that I think I'm usually trying to talk to myself. Nice. <laughs> and then, you know, trying to be, you know, kind to myself and uh, move myself along on the path and improve my own character. And hopefully, you know, if I can get that voice right with myself, it'll come across to the students as well. Can I ask you a question, unscripted question, though? Mm-hmm. Why should we work to improve our own character? Why do we work to improve our own character? Yeah. Wow. I mean, we're talking about the good life, right? This is true. You know, and, and what is that really all about? And what are the implications if we don't work on good character? Mm. You know, mm. what kind of life is that, right? So character is, you know, what brings beauty to life, right? For ourselves and for those around us. I always think of that movie Bass from the Past where he's like, oh, I learned that a gentleman or a lady is a person who tries to make people feel comfortable, mm. you know, and trying to recapture that, that space of, you know, okay, good character is what puts other people at ease. It's beautiful. You it's know? beautiful. It's fascinating, I think, in a, in a space where sometimes the, when we think self-improvement, we're thinking of something ultimately for our own good, you know, where we learn to be better orators or how to present ourselves better in the name of getting a good job or being more successful. Uh, I love the way that you framed it, that this, this aspect of self-improvement is ultimately for bringing good out in the world, in our relationships, in our communities, and in our world, which is, which is rich, which is rich. Can, I, can we jump in with this question, though? How has your character been affected by people who are outside of Islam uh, and whether it's famous people or you know other other folks what has this been real for you well i i think yeah um you know and i i think that all of our our role models and our teachers are those that that we say all right i want to be more like this person you know um and i um just as you're talking, and I know I've mentioned this before, I remember my, my supervisor when I did my uh, clinical pastoral education and, and I was working in the hospital. When you talk about concepts that came to life, right? We grew up, I mean, with this song, Amazing Grace, you know? And I think for me, when I was young, some of these concepts were really abstract. Yeah. And I really didn't know what they meant, you know? What did holy mean? What did grace mean? You know, they were very abstract concepts that we would, you know, use all the time when I was a child. But working with my supervisor, you know, I ended up at the end of the year saying, okay, you've brought grace to life for mm. me. You know, you've, you've made that real. 
that, you know, going through that day-to-day, working through stuff, hard situations, and then people just don't get things right or they forget or they slip up. But despite whatever happens, still being able to deal with people with kindness. You know, recalibrating the GPS in a way that's kind and gentle, saying, okay, that wasn't what we wanted, but moving forward. And the opportunity to move forward without having, you know, this punitive kind of experience. And for me, that was really beautiful. You know, I hear um, where I live, I actually hear the church bells playing Amazing Grace, like, every Sunday morning. Reminder. Yeah, it is. And, <laughs> and, and it, you know, again, now it has real meaning for me. Yeah. That's beautiful. It, I, I, I hear you in the, the ways that we're surprised by, I don't want to say character witnesses, but that, that character witnesses are a different thing, but the way we're surprised by people from different traditions who affect our own journeys. When I was first invited to be associate chaplain here, I was working with William Gibson. Mm-hmm. And he asked me to engage different communities off campus. And that's where I first met one of our mutual friends, Imam Anwar, yeah. and, and the good folks at Cuba mm-hmm. over there on Lancaster Avenue here in West Philadelphia. And there, I remember being very struck by this intersection of devotion, deep love of scripture, mm-hmm. Quran, and this commitment to serving the community. Mm-hmm. And so they build a school in the community. It's not just about one's personal devotion. Um, and relationship with, with the divine, which is of paramount importance, I think. But I, I think it's also about this. We want to be contagious with our love, mm. with our, with our uh, inner journey. And so I think Imam Anwar was one of the first people um, when I was associate chaplain to, to challenge me to do the same. That's beautiful. But it's not just kind of local folks that we know who hit us. I remember engaging the poet Rumi, Mm-hmm. Um, whom his relationship, his journey in the West is, is a complicated one that's uh, in some ways kind of been watered down and you know, to the point where I don't think I knew Rumi was Muslim when I first read mm-hmm. him. I knew him as a, as a neat poet. Right. And it was kind of trendy to like have a Rumi poem on your wall or something like that in college. Mm-hmm. Um, but I read a, read a rich biography about him recently uh, that kind of presented him more as a as a human, as an individual who goes on this powerful journey himself. And he's a religious leader. More than anything else, he's like a religious leader of a community. And his ecstatic art mm. was kind of an outgrowth of his inner life. And as someone, uh, personally, someone who aspires to be and sees himself as a writer, that hit me hard mm. of... It's okay for my writing to be a, a part of my own spirituality, an outgrowth of my own devotion as well. Absolutely. Uh, I love Rumi. That, mm-hmm. that, that man, that, that saint mm-hmm. has blessed my life and continues to do so. Is it okay for us to be moved and inspired by people who are not a part of our own tradition? You know, we have um, this idea of the believers are mirrors to one another, Right. And from, you know, for me as a Muslim, I kind of believe that prophets and messengers came to all people, mm. right? So we also have this saying that, you know, wisdom is the lost property of the believer. Right? Oh, say that again <laughs> for the people in the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this is one of the things we say when we, when we find truth outside of our, our, our tradition. We yes. say wisdom is the lost property of the believer. Mm. And so sometimes, 
yeah, you know, we find what we believe, a truth that resonates deep in our heart, a rearticulation sometimes of what we believe that makes us hold on to it stronger from different voices. You know, and and some of the times those voices are from different religious traditions. Sometimes, like, you know, we had a, a speaker recently on the positive psychology here. Yeah. That's all, co- you know, it can be commentary on our own tradition. And it, and it reminds us and it strengthens us on, on, on certain aspects of our faith. That's so rich. We heard uh, James Powelski from uh, positive psychology here at Penn mm-hmm. uh, came and spoke to a group of interfaith ministers recently here. And all of our heads were bobbing up and down. And mm-hmm. James is speaking from a intellectual space that's different from where a lot of us are coming from, but it resonated and it certainly pushed and challenged us. I think more than most conversations, we took a lot of notes. It was rich. Mm-hmm. I hear you. I, but I think it's, it's scary for a lot of people who believe that by listening to voices outside of our house, our religious house, we somehow might get led astray confused mm-hmm. or potentially leave, you know? Mm. And I hear that. I mean, I think that's that's a real concern, particularly this is the call I get every August from parents when their mm-hmm. kids apply. Yeah. Here is, is, is my kid going to lose and leave their faith? Mm. And I tell them, you know, it, very, very rarely does that happen, but but your, your kid is going to change, no doubt, you know, by yeah. rubbing elbows and coming in contact with the world. And I mm. think that's okay. It's also really scary. But I think it's okay. Yeah. There's a certain verse of Quran that I remember that comes in relationship to this. Because it's interesting to me that it's God saying, you know, the Jews kind of said the Christians don't have anything to stand on. And the Christians said the Jews don't have anything to stand on. But they say they have the same book. Mm. You know? And so whenever we kind of get into this, like, feeling that we have to be about our tradition and somehow negate the truth that others are speaking, I think about what God has said about that in that context. Mm. You know, even if it's differences within my own tradition, I think, well, what will God say (laughs) about the kind of debates and the kind of, you know, posturing that sometimes happens in our community? And I think that, yes, there's things that divide us and that are are nuances and difference in belief and differences in practice, and those are important for us. But I think it's also immensely important to look at the things that we're saying across traditions, even in terms of practice, even in terms, you know, as well as character, right? I think of um, Karen Armstrong and her charter on compassion. Beautiful. You know, and if we can hold fast to those things that are truths across those traditions, you know, and kind of we come together on those, I think those might be the most critical things mm-hmm. for making our world a better place. I tell people often that, to your comment around not just character but practice, that I'm a better Christian because of my relationship with Buddhist, Muslim, and Jewish friends and other mm-hmm. traditions as well that have deepened my own prayer life my own devotional life, my own um, reflection and meditation and contemplation, uh, which is hard to explain, but my relationship with others has strengthened my own journey. And again, there's a risk in that, but I think that any decision based off of fear is Mm. usually an unhealthy decision. But decisions based off of courageous love, I think take us places that we can't imagine. and, and that's been my experience sort of living in a cosmopolitan space like Penn, like Philadelphia here. What advice would you give someone who uh, 
is is building relationships with folks from different communities, um, but but might be a little nervous about it. What advice would you give them, particularly a young person? I mean, I think that you know, as we're we're talking about giving advice to young people and they're they're kind of going into conversation, um, I think sometimes people's insecurities relate to not knowing everything about their tradition. Yeah. You know? mm. um, at least I see that with Muslim students, right? They feel like they have to be the ambassador or the spokesperson, and they don't know everything. They don't have theological degrees. So it's okay to just speak from your experience and from your knowledge and to allow you know, questions to come in and to seek answers, you know, to have it be a mutual seeking through the dialogue. And I think it's a good place to be in knowing that you don't know everything. Yeah. There's a scholar and writer named E.J. Dion who wrote in one of his books that the most dangerous aspect of Christianity right now is that they're far too certain. Mm. And, and, and I think that oftentimes we, we feel like we need to master every subject, that we must be certain of everything before we can engage others and kind of be ready to engage our faith. And, and it, it's important to deep dive in your own tradition and learn as much as you can and continue to learn and you're never going to get it all in, you know, one study of it. At the same time, knowing that you're never going to get it all and that engaging others might speak to you. Yeah. Which I, th- which I think is a beautiful thing. H- your time here at Penn, one of the things I've, I've loved is the, your relationship with Rabbi Josh. <laughs> and uh, can you say a little bit more about that and what that's, what that's brought out in you? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing because when we, when we talk about coming together in, you know, multi-faith space, there's conversations you can have, you know, with Rabbi Josh, but, you know, also with other people. I've, I've had co- amazing conversations with Buddhist monks, yeah. and, you know, we're able to sort of resonate on a shared love of the time that we've spent in our spiritual study and our spiritual practice and that experience. So it's amazing to be able to really kind of go into the deep dive and to sort of ask that question. And also being in these similar spaces of people who've, you know, maybe took a time out and really did immersion, you know, Mm. immersion in study, immersion in practice. And then you kind of come back and you're in the world here at Penn where people aren't thinking about God as much <laughs> and, and sort of trying to like maintain your connection through that, right? Yeah. And to be that, that force that, you know, kind of calls for the balance and the time out kind of among all the pressures and the busyness that we have here on campus. It's, it's a beautiful model and this notion of, it's like a relationship. You, know, you sort of stay engaged, but every relationship needs a time where I, I'm going to recharge on my own mm. to be an individual. I think it's true in interfaith dialogue and interfaith religion, interfaith relationships rather, in that it, so much can be learned from sharing. And this is why I don't eat this. And this is, this is how I interpret the scripture and look at this amazing person from our tradition. At the same time, it's important to kind of go and deep dive in your own tradition and come back with more water mm-hmm. to sort of bring to the table for our own individual journeys and growth, but also so that to kind of bring it full circle, we can bless the world and challenge those around us as well. Closing thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's one of the beauties, I guess, of just of this interfaith space. And, and one of the things that I love working in the chaplain's office here at Penn is that not only do we continue to have those conversations 
you know, not just with Rabbi Josh, but also with you and with Steve and from all the ministers that are serving here on campus, you know, be able to have those conversations, but also with the students. You know, I love being in that space with, you know, the Hindu students, the, the Buddhist students, the Jewish students. You know, I love the conversations that we have and then seeing them around on campus and being able to share, you know, different parts of that journey. Sweet. I think I would end with students as well. Uh, and one particular student, there's a young man named Summer, who was, who you know, uh, he was among the first generation of students that I engaged when I became chaplain. And I think of him because it's not just the kind of famous holy folks from history who, from different traditions, who speak to you like a Rumi in my life. Uh, Summer, in a lot of ways, has been one of the uh, strongest witnesses of the beauty of Islam in my life. Mm. Uh, and don't, we don't speak every day, obviously, and, and at this point kind of orbit around once or twice a year. But I remember his, his journey as a student and his journey now as a professional of balancing daily decency mm. with taking his own faith very seriously, yet never being afraid to engage others. And all of that translating into, it's kind of been a life of service. Mm. Um, what we can do as individuals to be, for lack of a better term, ambassadors for our traditions mm -hmm. and to affect the character of others, uh, even if we're not famous saints just yet. And so I'm thankful for the example of Summer, an example of many, many others who I've, who I've journeyed with over these last uh, several years here at Penn. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. This is The Good Life. Thanks for listening to The Good Life. For more information about religion and spiritual life at the University of Pennsylvania, check out our website at upenn.edu slash chaplain.